good morning. My name is Adobe Induka. It is a pleasure and an honor to be standing right before you and bringing the Word of God this morning. Um, so if you have your Bible, whether it's our copy or digital, can you please turn with me to Romans 13, and we are going to read verses 8 through 10. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. And if you don't have a Bible with you or anything, don't, don't fret, don't panic. You can read it from the screen. And it reads, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, not, does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of the law, of God's law. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. I pray, Lord, that you stand strong and tall in me and preach your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in a series called Between Two Kingdoms. And, you know, I'm reading the book of Romans, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, what a contrast. I don't know about you, but I don't know if you've been following the reading, but if you have read the book previously, there was the book of Acts, you would notice that um, Paul did not start off loving his neighbor as himself. <laughs> For those of you that have not read it, I'm going to just give you like a quick, like a quick um, story, a quick synopsis of his um, life. So Saul, um, who is actually Paul, the first time we actually are introduced to him is in Acts 7 verse 58. And here he is actually watching the uh, clothes of those who or Stone and Stephen, who is challenging the Jewish people of, of his day. And he is really ruling for those that are stoning this man to death. And of course, persecution hits the church, and oh my goodness, Paul wreaks havoc, okay? He goes out, going to every single household, bringing out men and women out of their house and taking them to prison. Why? because they say they are the way they believe in Jesus Christ. And he's like, nah, because he's a Jewish guy. You know, he grew up being a Pharisee. You know, he studied under a wonderful man who taught him all things about the law. And he's like, nah, you guys are wrong. And for him so much so, he was acting on it. And then, of course, Jerusalem was not enough. He wanted to go to Damascus because he heard that during this persecution that, you know, the... Um, the Jewish believers just literally spread all over. And he was like, I heard they're in Damascus. So he goes to the chief priest. He's like, listen, I need some letters. Give me some letters. So when I go in, I actually have authority to go ahead and grab these people and bring them to prison. So of course, he gets, he gets his letters. He's on his way to Damascus. And of course, that's where he encounters Jesus and his life was not the same. And as I'm reading this 
whole book of Acts and just trying to find out what made this man go from one kingdom, which is the kingdom of the world, to another kingdom, which is the kingdom of God, which is the righteousness in, um, in the Holy Spirit. It is joy, peace in the Holy Spirit. What was his process? And there are four things that stood out to me. First thing was this, he encountered the truth. Now, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is like, dude, the way you're going, mm-mm, wrong way. The truth you think you got, mm-mm, wrong. And then the, you know, the life you're living, it's not cute, okay? So he's like, he literally encountered Jesus on his way. And Jesus flips the switch on him. So he encounters the truth. The second thing I notice is he acknowledges his blindness. Now, when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, homeboy was blind for three days and three nights. Just blind. Sin in his darkness. And I'm, you know, in his blindness. And I'm, I'm trying to imagine and thinking, I wonder what was going through Paul's mind as he's sitting in the dark, has encountered this Jesus. And I'm wondering if he's thinking, oh my gosh, all these things I've been taught in Bible school, in the synagogue, and you telling me that that's all wrong? Seriously? I can imagine what was going through his mind those three days and three nights of sin in his blindness. The third thing, though, is he repents. Now, the Bible was, is careful to tell us that in his blindness for those three days and three nights, he did not eat, he did not drink. I don't know about you, but that sounds like fasting to me. And I'm wondering if Paul was sitting in, in his blindness fasting, asking for forgiveness. He has done this. He has persecuted this, but who he has dragged out of their home to put them in prison. I can imagine what was going through his heart and asking God for forgiveness. Now, I want to make something clear. Guilt is not the same thing as repentance. You can feel guilty about something. You can feel bad about something. You can cry well on the floor. But let me tell you something. It is not repentance till you get up and change your course. And that's exactly what Paul did. I mean, not only that Saul changed his mind, he also changed his name. He was like, listen, stop calling me Paul. Don't call me Saul. I, I am not that guy anymore. He truly turned his course. And the fourth thing, that, I, that came to my mind is the cost of his repentance. Man, I'm telling you, he changed his mind, he shifts course, he starts to preach about Jesus in Damascus. And guess what? The Jewish people in Damascus wanted to kill him. Now this man, initially, on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, put them in prison, and now he's a Christian and the Jews want to put him in prison. Now, the believers in Damascus literally had to sneak him out by night and send him back to Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem, and of course, Barnabas has to defend him because, you know, I mean, the Christians in Jerusalem know about this guy. They're like, what? He's preaching? Is this a trap? Barnabas is like, nah, listen, listen, he's legit. He's legit. He's for real. He's legit. You know, he's a true Christian. And, of course, he starts preaching about the uh, gospel of Jesus Christ there. And, of course, the Jewish there, 
want to kill him. The believers there, of course, had to sneak him out to his hometown, Tarsus. Now, does that stop the man? Absolutely not. He continues to preach, goes around planting churches. And the interesting thing is the letter he's writing to Romans, he did not even plant that church. We don't even know how that church started, but he just felt obligated to write a letter to them, was eager to even visit that church. But he did not let the persecution stop him because he was so convinced and convicted in his transformation with Jesus. He just, he couldn't go back, no matter the cost. And the interesting thing for me about that persecution, though, is as I read all the places he went, he would go and go to the synagogue in those city or in that country. And the Jewish people there are the ones actually persecuting him. Not so much the Gentiles. He might have a little bit, but not so much. Like about 95 to 98% of his persecution literally came from the Jewish people. And, you know, I'm wondering to myself, uh, Paul, you are here saying that God called you to be the apostle of the Gentiles to people that don't worship the same way you worship, don't even believe in the same God that you believe. And God is calling you to that people to preach Jesus. And yet somehow you still go to the synagogues, you're still preaching to Jewish people. Don't you see over and over again they keep persecuting you? But there's something I, I believe. At first I was a little, you know, worried about Paul. Like, what's wrong with you? Why do you want, or do you like being persecuted? Like I was, you know, wondering about that. But after spending some time in the world, I'm like, you know what? There's a reason why he keeps going back to Jewish people. There's a reason why he keeps, continues to preach to them. Because he is them. He used to think like them. And his thing is this. Man, if I can get as many Jews as I can to believe in Jesus, man, I would be a happy man. He knows. He knows. He used to be that Jewish person that was so hard-headed, was so blind, was willing to persecute people for believing in Jesus. He knows what that's like. And he still insists to go and preach to them, hoping to convert some. Some did, for sure, but many didn't. And he was willing to deal with the ridicule, deal with the stoning. But nevertheless, when he was persecuted, though, instead of going back at them, he would go to another city, go to another country, and continue to preach. You reject him. He leaves, he continues to preach. Now I want to focus on Romans um, 13 verse eight. I want to focus on this specific um, verse, which says, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. So Paul is saying, listen, as Christians, you owe nothing to anybody but to love them. That is pretty cool. Just to love them. That sounds so simple, so cool, but hard to do. Very hard to do. I'm actually reminded of a parable that Jesus gave in Luke 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, you have to understand, the Jews cannot stand Samaritans. They can't stand them. And this parable came about that a religious law expert came to Jesus trying to test him granted, but he came to Jesus anyway and says, how can I 
enter the, how can I achieve um, eternal life? How can I enter it? And Jesus says, hey, you know, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And then, of course, this religious law expert was like, what I got out of all of the laws and the Torah and everything is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's cool. That's it. You do that, you in. And he was like, okay, who's my neighbor? Who, who's my neighbor? And Jesus is like, all right, cool. Okay, you trying, trying to play games? All right, I got you. Um, and then he starts telling them a, a parable. He starts telling them a story about a man who got robbed, beaten half to death, and a priest and a Levite walks by, does not even tend to him, literally walked the other way. Now, I have to tell you, y'all, reading this parable, it cost me kind of deep because you have to understand, I'm called to the ministry. I'm called to it. Now, for those of you that don't know, a priest are actually pastors and Levites are those that work in the church. And they see a man being half to death, got robbed, and they walk the other way. And this kind of cuts me, though, because I'm like, okay, Lord, are you trying to talk to me about this? I got I to gotta be careful. I got to make sure that I don't walk the other side of the street as well. And he says, now the good Samaritan, and I can imagine what was going through the minds of the Jews listening to Jesus as he says the good Samaritan. is like, a good? What? Ain't no good. What Samaritan you know is good? A good Samaritan? But yeah, Jesus is like, yeah, and the good Samaritan walks by, sees this man, clean his wounds, put him on his donkey, takes him to the hospital and pay for his hospital bill. And says to the hospital, oh, by the way, if this is not enough and you'll call more bills, let me know, I'll pay for it. Amazing. Talk about, and then he looks at this religious law expert. Again, religious law expert. Religious law expert. He's an expert. And he looks at him and says, okay, so who you out of these three people who was acting as a neighbor? Which, of course, I have to commend him. He was truthful. He said, the third one. And Jesus says, well, go do likewise. And um, <laughs> I have to tell you, in the kingdom of the world, their defini our defin that definition of love is quite different from how God defines love it is very different. In the kingdom of the world, man, love those that love you, like those that like you, those that, that can't stand you, cut them out of your life, don't speak to them, block them off your posts, block them off, off your social media, don't even go their way. That's the definition of love in the world. But in the kingdom of God, it's a whole different um, definition. I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians um, chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 4 through 7. And this is Paul, again, homeboy been transformed, and he's like, listen, let me define love in the kingdom of God, in this new kingdom. And this, and this is how he defines it. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not iterable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoice whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. 
never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love one another. That's easy to say, but we cannot do that without the Holy Spirit in us. So, in this time that we find ourselves in, especially in this past couple of weeks, I have questions to ask of you to find out which kingdom are you on. First, have you encountered the truth? Now, if you have not received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, man, this is going to be tough for you because... <laughs> You cannot even be in the kingdom of God without even receiving him. So that's the first thing. Have you encountered him? Secondly, have you acknowledged your blindness? I want to read uh, a post a, a friend of mine had on her Facebook. Now, to give you context, she is actually married to a black man who happens to be Jamaican. Love her to pieces. And this is what she posts. My husband got critical, got critical habitat license plates for his car last, this week. And I felt a weight come off my chest that I did not know was there. My mind went, maybe people will assume there's a white driver or at least recognize he's a professional. This thought was so disturbing. So these are the questions she had to ask herself. Why do we assume people concerned with critical habitat would be white? Why do we value white lives above black lives? Why do we value professional lives over working class or poor lives? Why do we associate whiteness with professionalism? Why do I think a license plate will protect him? It won't really, he's still black. She recognized her own blindness, even though, she, even though she's married to a black guy. What is your blindness? Have you recognized it? Next one is, have you repented of it? Now, we don't know what happened to the religious law expert. It doesn't say if he actually repented, but Paul most definitely did. The, third, the fourth one is, man, there's a price to be paid. Now, you might not pay the same price as Paul did, him being persecuted and stoned. But I want to read a post that a white couple posted because they are speaking up about the injustice that's going on in our, in our city, in our country. Now, the interesting thing is, in this post, she posted two notes, one that was in her mailbox and one that was on their car. This is the one that was on their mailbox. It says, your neighbors have grown sick of your effing riots and your bullcrap matter signs. Remove move them or we torch your home and cars real quiet with lighter fluid while you sleep. We have had enough. This is the note that was on your car. Yeah, we are here too. Take your SJW bull crap signs down or we will burn you in your sleep. You mother effing want a war, you will get one. Now yours might not be this extreme but just know, when you decide to go from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of God, don't even think for one second that the enemy is just going to sit back and let you go ahead and do that. He's going to come after you. 
in however which way, shape, or form, for everybody's going to be different. For some people, it's more extreme than others. But just know persecution will come. Jesus Christ made that very clear. I mean, there's no fine print in the Bible, unless you buy, you know, a little print Bible. But there's no fine print. There's literally no fine print. He is straight up honest and tells us the truth. Like, yeah, just I was persecuted, you'd be persecuted too. But again, like he says, but don't worry, for I have overcome the world. And the question I have for those, my, bro, my white brothers and sisters who are posting and saying something and protesting, so grateful that you're doing so, so happy that you're doing so. I mean, it fills my heart with joy. I'm so grateful that you are. But the next question I have for you, though, is are you willing to commit to do this for the rest of your life? Is this something you're just doing just for 2020, for an instant? Or is this a fight that you're willing to do to the day God calls you home? There's a lovely post I have on my Facebook page. Oh, I so love this post. And literally it says, can't believe we are 85 and still protested this crap. <laughs> Black lives do matter. And they are standing at their car with their poster, literally 85, <laughs> standing there protesting. Are you willing to commit to do this for the rest of your life? In Hebrews, it says that our faith is a race, and this race is an endurance race. It's not a sprint. Are you willing to commit, along with people of color, to continue to fight this for our generation as long as it lasts? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for speaking to us today. Lord, I pray for my white brothers and sisters who are probably hesitant right now with all this going on. And honestly, Lord, they just don't have the courage to stand. They are concerned, they are worried, they are fearful. Lord, I pray that you give them the boldness, the courage, and the confidence to stand strong and to know that you got them and that you are with them from hell or high water. That they should stand up for truth and to stand up for justice. For indeed, that's what you have called us to. And for my, um, my brothers and sisters of color, especially my black brothers and sisters, I am praying, Lord, that you bring healing to our souls, healing to our emotions, healing to our mind. Please bring healing. Please show us, reveal to us our triggers. Help us walk through them. Because sadly, triggers keep happening over and over again. Lord, heal us. Give us the strength to continue to stand and to continue to voice. Heal us. Let us act from a place of healing, not a place of pain and brokenness, Lord. And let's continue to fight the good fight of faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.